everyone. Welcome to the fifth episode of Representing Now, where we celebrate diversity in all media. Today's episode, we'll be covering The Mandalorian, which is a personal favorite of mine and one I'm very excited to cover. But before we get into that, we do want to make a couple announcements. Representing Now has switched our podcast platform onto Anchor. So this is amazing because our podcast will now be available on so many other platforms. We wanted to provide an updated list of available channels where you can access the podcast. So we're still on Apple Music, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Now this also includes Google Podcasts. This will be great for you Android users. You can go ahead and leave a review on Google Podcasts and we'll get more feedback coming in from that channel as well. Other available channels include Overcast, Breaker, Radio Public, and I think that covers them all. Other than that, we wanted to tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor allows its users to leave voice recorded reviews. So We'll leave the link in our link tree and in the bio for this episode. That way you guys can go ahead and leave voice reviews and love openly. And we do appreciate your reviews. Another great feature Anchor offers is that we will now start monetizing our episodes, which means we will possibly get sponsors or possible ads in our episodes. And we can also receive direct support from you listeners. So if any of you feel like you're in a giving mood and want to support us to help us make new episodes, you can directly support us through Anchor by sending us money of any portion you'd like. Anything is very happily accepted, even if it's just 50 cents. I'll cherish that 50 cents forever. But of course, if you can't spend, especially during these times, then a simple review either through Anchor or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or anything will be much appreciated. Yes, and we're very excited. We're going to start reading reviews at the start of our podcast next episode. There have been a couple reviews that have come in that we haven't shouted out that we're planning on shouting out soon. And that's it for the announcements. I guess one more thing is that we did get a new mic, which is why we came out late with this episode. And so our sound quality is back to hi i'm very happy about that and other than that we can just hop right into our mandalorian episode so many of you know the mandalorian is a tv show on disney plus i'll also mention and we're gonna make this spoiler filled so this is official spoiler warning for all of season one and the season two trailer a little since that just dropped yeah so if you have not watched and you want to be spoiler free do not listen to this listen after you've watched the show but if you've watched the show and are, in, are excited about this discussion and continue listening, we're really going to get into it, especially in terms of character development and a lot of just developments in the story itself. I'm sure everyone knows about Baby Yoda by this point. We're throwing it out there. Yeah, we're throwing it out there. But I, if you haven't heard about him, then you've been under a rock. <laughs> so... We're going to try our best to not make this an entire Baby Yoda episode. Which I I feel like I have to put more effort in because I do find him fascinating in terms of a plot device and as a character himself. But I will try to keep it representation based and less Baby Yoda based. I find this very hard to believe because Gio is a huge Star Wars fan. Regardless of whether Baby Yoda would have been in the show or not, he would have been gushing over the Mandalorian. So 
I would say it's harder for me not to gush over him since I'm not too familiar with the lore of Star Wars as much as Geo is. <laughs> yes, but my restraints are on. I am going to refrain from diving into the years and years of Mandalorian history and lore, both in Legends and canon material, and I will focus strictly on this show. With that being said, we chose this episode because... I personally have found the show very fascinating in terms of its representation of women and its representation of people of color. There's a lot of people of color in the show. I've noticed that a lot of Star Wars media is moving towards that. The sequels have kind of been behind if people have heard the recent controversies with John Boyega, but a lot of the other media, especially in terms of TV shows and video games, have been pushing a lot more women people of color. Kathleen Kennedy, lover or hater, she's really been trying to push more female representation, especially with her Forces Female campaign. And I think this show does portray that a lot. And yeah, that's what really got me interested because not only of the female representation, but the male representation and how I think both sides really do break gendered stereotype roles. Mm -hmm. So another thing I wanted to bring up is this episode is very important to Gio. Saying he's a Star Wars fan is an understatement. I thought I knew Star Wars fans before I met Gio, but then I met Gio and he's like a Star Wars encyclopedia. Anyways, so my point is that with all the criticism that the Star Wars franchise has been receiving in the 2000s, anything not related to the original trilogy, there's been so much criticism, especially over the sequel trilogy with problematic storylines and criticism from the actors, the directors, even Mark Hamill himself, who played Luke Skywalker. So we wanted to celebrate The Mandalorian because this is a much needed piece of media for the Star Wars fandom right now in terms of its representation, in terms of the directors involved, in terms of the story arcs for different characters. Yeah, and as you said, I think that The Mandalorian has helped bring the Star Wars community together again. For a while, it was very toxic with like, I'd say just like non-toxic versus toxic Star Wars fans combating each other. And how would you define that? I'd define it as people who like kind of just go out and like just hate on the sequels because they're the sequel trilogy and then non-toxic fans being like, well, like they criticizing the sequels for the you know, poor decisions, but not just outright trashing on it and the actors and everything. And that's been a big, I think, especially since what happened to Kelly Marine Tran, who, if you don't know, she played Rose Tico in The Last Jedi and received a unprecedented and very cruel amount of hate. And that divided the fan base incredibly because she went off social media completely and people based it about that. And then we had Mark Hamill who denounced what happened to her and that really, like, pushed the division more. Well, not denounced, but more, like, defended what happened yeah, to her. Yeah, defended. And was against the social media hate yeah. that she had gotten. Exactly. And for a while, it was pretty bad, and The Mandalorian brought people together. So I think that the representation in the show is even more important, because you have... There are a lot of racist and sexist Star Wars fans out there who outright hated the sequels because it had a black stormtrooper and a lead female Jedi. And now you have this show that is being beloved by all Star Wars fans that have Latinx lead role that has a lot of female characters and has a lead male character that is more compassionate and less 
angry and I don't want uh, he's very violent, but that's, you know, it's an action movie, but he's also very caring and fatherly, I think, which we'll get into later. But that's the big reason why I wanted to talk about The Mandalorian. And as someone as a Star Wars fan has loved Mandalorian like culture since I was a kid, this was also very exciting. But the way it was executed and seeing all these very colorful cast of characters. And behind the scenes, the mm-hmm. directors, the writers, the showrunners. Um, behind the scenes, that's very important as well. Um, yeah. To go on a small tangent. Just like we saw what happened the negative effects of what happens when writers don't pay attention or push people of color off to the side. Audiences are going to notice that and it's going to feel forced and it's going to feel inconsistent. Yeah, and I really think that the show was made entirely by basically fans and people who love the series Mm -hmm. and cared for it so much. While the sequel trilogy, well, I, I will point out and say I am a fan of the sequel trilogy. I really like a lot of the things they did, but I do think that Disney pushed, just wanted Star Wars out there and they just pushed it and they just got whoever they thought would do the best job. And they didn't think about people who just really love Star Wars and want to make really, really good and loving Star Wars media, which is where like people like Deborah Chow has even come out and said how much she likes Star Wars, Bryce Dallas Howard. Obviously, Dave Filoni and John Favreau, who were like incredible Star Wars fans, and these are all directors and writers on the show that Joe yes. is name dropping. Yeah, that's about everything. That's our intro. Everything <laughs> we're gonna cover. It's gonna be, I think, a pretty big episode, uh, and we should just really go into it. Mm-hmm. And we'll start off by talking about the people of color that are represented in this show. Okay, so first we want to start off with Pedro Pascal. He is a Chilean-American man, and he is the first Latinx lead in Star Wars. We can acknowledge Oscar Isaac and Diego Luna for their work in the Star Wars uh, movies, but they were still in side roles. Uh, even though this is a TV show and we don't see the Mandalorian's face often, it's still important that Pedro Pascal was cast in this lead role, and he is an A-list actor now. If that wasn't true before, it's definitely true now. Yeah, of course. They're casting actors with merit and based on their acting ability. Pedro Pascal has played a lot of side roles or smaller roles, for instance. I think his biggest role before this was in Narcos, but even then he was more of a side character. And he was also antagonist in Kingsman, and he his breakout role, I think, was in Game of Thrones. Definitely. And but, yeah, he made such a lasting impact as Oberyn on Game of Thrones, even though... Lasting but fleeting impact. (laughs) Yeah. Spoilers for Game of Thrones. He doesn't last long. (laughs) But now he has a lead role. And that's going to, especially how big the Mandalorian is, that's going to launch his career even further. And I'm excited to see where we're going to see him next. Obviously, we're going to see him as the main antagonist in Wonder Woman. But I can only imagine where he's going to go further. And yeah, they helped launch another Latinx actor's career. And we'll probably see him more because of this, too. Yeah, of course. I mean, you can reference Giancarlo Esposito from his role in Breaking Bad. That was a hit series. And now he everybody's co- like directors are coming left and right or producers are coming left and right to cast him in big productions. I mean, what was he in? <laughs> I'm blanking. He's... He was in Once Upon a Time. <laughs> he, <laughs> he was. was. Near, 
Uh, what else? He's been in, if you know Destiny, he was in Destiny, the video game. He's going to be in a new Far Cry game. He's also uh, coming out in The Boys, the Amazon show. And now he is the main, by looking at it, is going to be the main antagonist in The Mandalorian, who he's just an ex- exceptionally amazing antagonist. antagonist in everything he does. And even in this show, he just has one of the most badass mm-hmm. villain intros in Star Wars. And he cemented himself as like a scary ass antagonist yeah of course and he's one of those actors where you look at him on screen and you just recognize he's so recognizable now and i think that will probably happen with pedro pascal too and since we're on a topic of antagonist there's also ming na wen's character who is very brief in the fifth episode but she will be returning for one and she is a I believe the first live action Asian female antagonist in Star Wars, which she came out and said she was very excited to do because she's played a lot of protagonist roles, but she was very excited to play the role of an antagonist. And her character was very, while it was brief, was pretty badass. And you can see that she was very ferocious and she was very cunning too. And I'm excited to see her come back because I believe they did confirm that she is coming back. Mm-hmm. whether it's in the second season or later seasons i'm pretty sure she'll be in the second season because in that fifth episode we do see a figure who i'm crossing fingers is boba fett come up to her and so we'll see her more of her which is very exciting exciting for her too since she was so excited to play a antagonist mm-hmm. it is exciting to see ming Nawen in the mandalorian as fennec shand since she is an iconic asian american actress she's acted in the Joy Luck Club, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as Agent May, and most notably, she voiced Mulan in the 90s. She was also Chung Li in the Street Fighter movie that came out in the 90s, too. What love it or hate it. Some people really love that movie, and I don't... Good for them. It isn't that bad compared to a lot of other video game movies. I've never seen it, so my opinion does not matter. <laughs> Along with her, we also have Carl Weathers, who played the iconic Apollo Creed in the Rocky movies, who you like to refer as Dr. S- or Dr. Sassafras, That's right? So- From the Sasquatch I- Gang. I'm sorry. I always forget his name. I just remember him as Dr. Sassafras because he literally eats shit in that oh movie. And it scarred me as a kid. <laughs> Watch watch Sasquatch Gang if you for context. <laughs> we also have Taika Waititi in The Mandalorian, who cameoed as IG-11 in the pilot episode and directed the finale of season one. Taika is one of the biggest voices in Hollywood who actively advocates for more POC involvement in Hollywood. He's been quoted directly saying that... POC should be involved in POC stories, and we strongly agree with that as well. So if you're telling a story about someone or a group of people, that story should come from the people itself. They should tell People should tell their own stories. We also wanted to shout out Latif Crowder, who is a Brazilian-American actor, and the Mandalorian stunt double or physical double under the helmet. I'm not sure why the Mandalorian has double. I'm assuming it's a stunt double, but I know that uh, Pedro Pascal also does the voiceovers quite often. 
for The Mandalorian. So we wanted to shout him out. We also wanted to shout out Julia Jones, who played Omera in episode four, aka that small little love interest side story that we had in episode four of The Mandalorian. Shout out to her. She also plays Leah Clearwater in Twilight. And since we're on the topic of that episode, I thought that the episode was very important too because we saw a lot of people of color in the background. We saw just a lot of like characters here and there in the village that Cara Dune and Din Djarin, the name of the Mandalorian, had to defend. And I've, I've been on record saying before in several ep- episodes of our podcast saying that it's an equally important to have a lot of POC in your background as well as like your main cast because it makes the world feel more diverse seeing that in the back and it feels more I think natural instead of real and real that's a better way of saying it and it just feels unrealistic to have like a main cast of like people of color and in the background there's always just like white people or whichever it just doesn't it it always put me off because that's just not how it is you're always gonna have people of color and just a diverse background of characters and i think that's important to not just have that because then that ruins the point of having lead characters but having an equal amount of lead characters as well as background characters to make your media feel diverse and real yeah and going off that star wars is a huge universe of course if you're gonna have all these aliens and have them be diverse, whether that be horns or tails or anything like that, why wouldn't you have diverse humans as well? And that's something that a lot of the geek community has had gripes with over the years, um, whether it be fantasy or science fiction, just not enough diversity in characters. Also looking towards the future in season two, we are expecting to have even more representation of people of color as well as women. We don't know the cast for sure because, you know, things like to be secretive when we've heard rumors here and there. But we are looking to have very iconic female characters come into season two, that being Sabine Wren and Ahsoka Tano. Those who've watched Rebels and Clone Wars knows exactly who I'm talking about. And we're excited to see them come in too. So looking towards the season two trailer, we see that Sasha Banks is coming in. She comes from a pro wrestling background and we'll have another black woman in the Star Wars series. Her role is still undisclosed, but we're really excited to see that the Mandalorian casting directors are casting women who are capable for the role and this type of action, which is very exciting. Also wanted to talk about Cara Dune's actress. Her name is Gianna Carano, and she comes from a mixed martial arts background as well. And I just love to see that the actresses are physically involved in their roles and their stunts. Exactly. And speaking of people like casting directors, our directors were extremely diverse as well. And as we were talking about before, this was a cast of people who I truly believed loved Star Wars and grew up with Star Wars. And that's reflected in how they made this series. And I also want to give kudos to John Favreau, who I really think chose people based on their skills as directors, as well as just uh, fans of Star Wars. And that led to a very diverse group of directors. Yeah, and a genuine voice that just 
spreads a love of the Star Wars franchise. Even though I know nothing about the series, I can tell that a lot of love and admiration and just pure joy for the series was poured into The Mandalorian. And as a result, we have directors like Rick Famuyiwa. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's a Nigerian-American director. He's the first black director for Star Wars in terms of live action. And he directed the second and sixth episode, The Child and the Prisoner. The second episode being one of my favorites. And then after him, we also have Deborah Chow, who people have been adoring because people argue she's made the best episodes making the third and seventh episode, The Sin and the Reckoning. She's also the, the first female Asian director and the first female director of Star Wars. And people have, there's been a very large outcry for female directors in Star Wars. And she's went up to bat and she did an excellent job. And people are even more excited hearing that she will be the director for the Kenobi series, mm -hmm. which if she's directing it, it's going to be fantastic seeing that series come to life. Yes. And your excitement for Deborah Chow directing the Kenobi show just brought back a quick memory that I wanted to bring up. When it was announced that Jon Favreau was going to be the showrunner and writer of The Mandalorian, there was a lot of eye rolls on the internet. People saying, oh, like another man is going to write another Star Wars piece of Star Wars media. Why can't we have more voices in more diverse voices in the Star Wars world. I remember seeing some criticism for that since Jon Favreau is a well-known director and is a well-known voice in Hollywood. People just wanted to see new talent come in. This might've been riding off the wave of Kelly Marie Tran, bringing in new talent, new diverse talent. But with that said, I think that Lucasfilm and Disney obviously listened to the outcries. So Deborah Chow directing the Kenobi show now, it does bring more hope for the future of Hollywood and different voices being involved. And she really showed her chops. And I think everyone just really respects her directing style and what she did for The Mandalorian specifically. And we just only look forward to what she'll be creating with the Kenobi show and whatever she creates further on too. Yeah. So diverse directors are important. Because talent knows talent. And the more new voices that are brought in to Hollywood, so it facilitates creativity and new ideas. And not restraining yourself to one group of people really gives us, like you said, new ideas and new directions to push things. I'd say The Mandalorian has a very interesting set of episodes. They all have really different feels. We have like a heist episode. We have a, a classic Western gunslinging episode. We have a more of like, I'd say Mad Max-ish Max episode with the second episode. And we, I don't think that would have been possible if we didn't get all these different minds and people from different backgrounds too, because everyone grew up differently and everyone has different ideas in terms of creatively. Yeah, and they all weaved it together very well. I really think if you're targeting one group especially one race of people or one gender of people, you're limiting yourself creatively immensely and you're just blocking new ideas from coming to fruition. Yeah, I agree. Uh, when Geo first brought up the news that there was going to be a Mandalorian show and when I first read about the news, I just thought it was going to be a series where we have a bounty hunter that has a new bounty to kill. I thought it was going to be very episodic. I didn't know if there was going to be a clear storyline that connected all the episodes. So 
I just assumed it would be more action-based and less story-based, but it is a Star Wars show, so I definitely underestimated that. And Jon Favreau has written a very heartwarming story. He had him and Dave Filoni, who worked very closely together, have made something incredible. And I think with this diverse group of directors, we have so much more influence too. We definitely saw in this series a lot of influence from Japanese cinema, specifically with Seven Samurai, which directly influences the fourth episode directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, who she said got direct inspiration from, where these two hardened, well, one's a bounty hunter, one's like a rebel shock trooper, defend and train a a group of villagers to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. And then we also have the whole show really reminiscent of Lone Wolf and Cub, which is about a ronin and his son who basically travel through Japan as assassins. Yes, we love to see the Baby Yoda Mando energy reflect the Ogami and Daigoro energy. Yeah, if anyone who hasn't watched Lone Wolf and Cub, please watch it. It is so good. My brother actually showed me the comparison, and after that I was like, I fell in love with Mandalorian (laughs) even more than I was already in love with it. With all that in mind, I do want to get into the big part of the show, which is why I personally think that The Mandalorian is a feminist show. There's been, well, in the beginning of the show's release, there was a good amount of people coming out saying the show wasn't feminist enough or was outright sexist. And you had one person in particular, Anita Sarkeesian, who said that there was no female characters that had speaking roles in the first episode and claimed that the only females there were were like ships and animals, (laughs) which was not true. And... I wanted to just retort that because in the first episode alone, we do have the armorer who is a female Mandalorian and Star Wars fans who've watched the Clone Wars and Rebels know that the Mandalorians have never been shy of having females leaders or just matriarchies in general. And we do see that this covert of Mandalorians is a matriarchy Mm -hmm. because not only is she the armorer, but she's basically the leader of this covert And we see that she plays an essential role to the Mandalorians, being that she crafts and creates Beskar armor, being an extremely important piece to the Mandalorians for their culture and their history. And she's basically the person that creates and crafts that and is the best person for that. As a result, she is their leader. And we can see outright in the third episode, she just demands respect. And when... Din Djarin fights another Mandalorian, she silences and stops everyone with just a single word. And she doesn't shout or she doesn't stand up and try to like push her way in. She just says something and everyone shuts up. And that I thought was just really badass because it showed how much respect she demanded mm-hmm. and how calm and collected she is to just be like, I'm not going to bother with these people fighting. Listen up. And we see that even at the end when the we find out that the Mandalorian covert was slaughtered, she's just moving on and then helps Din Djarin move on and basically makes their clan signet and officially announces Din Djarin and Baby Yoda as a clan of two. Yeah, exactly. She's not just a woman behind a helmet. She moves the story along by telling Din Djarin about the existence of the Jedi and where the child belongs, where he should be. 
we see that she, for one, is in a not stereotypical gender role because people don't associate women being blacksmiths or armorer, and she is that. She's also a leader, and in terms, and this culture of Mandalorian is kind of a spiritual leader too. And she's very intelligent. And at the end, we also see she's a badass because she beats the shit out of a couple stormtroopers with a hammer. And personally, I'm so interested in her, and I hope we get to see her more. And that's just one character. Later on, we also see Cara Dune, who plays an also very important role as she helps the Mandalorian throughout his journey, especially at the end. And we will also see later in season two, which is confirmed. And she's a very tough woman and a strong fighter. We see her like body Din Jaren at one point, and she carries a giant blaster and everything, which also goes against gendered stereotypes. And all around, she's just a tough woman and is always on her own, too, as we see in the fourth episode where she just outright says she just, like, prefers to be on her own. And in the seventh episode, we see her in, like, a wrestling match in the middle of a bar. And those two characters are very significant characters for Din Djarin and Baby Yoda as they are kind of guiders and protectors. And again, I'm very excited to see where they'll go further in the next couple seasons. And aside from her, we are introduced to even more and more female characters. The show is very episodic, so we do jump from character to character. And most, if not all, the female characters we see really play against gender stereotypes. They have active roles. Yeah, they all have active roles. And after we meet Cara Dune, we see Amy Sedaris' character, Mm -hmm. who is a mechanic. Again, that's not a role people typically associate with women, yet we see her do that, and she does it pretty much alone, too, without anyone's help aside from the help of a couple ditzy droids. These are very well-rounded women in the show as well. We see Amy Sedaris in the fifth episode, Mm -hmm. where she's ready to protect herself. Okay, let me backtrack. So, context for the episode. Again, spoiler warning. So... We see the Mandalorian arrive at her station looking to get repairs for his ship. The Mandalorian is in need of money, so he steps out. Amy Sedaris is left alone to work on the ship and doing her job. And she hears a mysterious noise and she's ready to protect herself. She can take care of her own and she is also the leader of her droids as well. So she's ready to protect herself. She's ready to fight. She does play an active role in that fifth episode. Later, it's revealed that this mysterious person that she heard was is Baby Yoda. And we see a motherly side come out, too. There are very well-rounded women written into this show who are very nurturing, but also very active and take matters into their own hands as well. And this same episode, we are introduced to Min Na Wen's character, who we see is an, a female antagonist. And we see that she's very ruthless. She's very deadly like we can see instantly that she's a sharpshooter she takes out she shoots Din Djarin off his bike and then has a hand-to-hand combat with the other younger bounty hunter and then we try to see her cleverly get her way out of her situation which unfortunately backfires but we can still see that she's very cunning and while we don't know much about her character we will probably see more of her in the second season and get more into what her background is and get more layers of who she is too, which I'm very excited to see. Yeah, we're very excited about that. And with all this representation of women breaking stereotypical gendered roles, we also have the Mandalorian himself, who I also think 
breaks stereotypical gendered roles while he is like a badass kind of stoic dude who you know is into violence being Mm -hmm. that the culture he's not just that he's pretty layered and we see that he does have a nurturing side to him and a caring side especially with baby yoda something that really struck me was in the third episode particularly when he goes back to rescue baby yoda and when he does he picks up baby yoda who's unconscious at this moment and he cradles baby yoda very close to his chest in a very fatherly way and throughout the episode he's just like holding him so tight and i thought that was very distinctive to show that he's nurturing this and protecting this child with his life and we see countless times that he sacrifices his own body to protect him, still cradling and holding him close to his chest. And I thought that motion in particular was just very uh, nurturing mo- mode for him. Yes. It's easy to categorize Din Djarin under typical male protagonist, very man of few words, very action-oriented... But one thing I do like about this show is that both the men and the women in this show are very nurturing and emotional while also being very active characters in their own right. So even though Din Djarin is a bounty hunter and you would think he has very little respect for life, his whole purpose in the first season is to protect life and give to life. And we see that reflected in Mandalorian culture as well with the ideology of foundlings and finding and nurturing people who don't have homes, and then thus taking on the Mandalorian mantle, which is something I've always adored about Mandalorian culture in terms of lore, that as they say in the show, it's not a people, it's a creed, Mm -hmm. as anyone can be accepted into this culture and be a part of it, which we see him do. He basically adopts a baby and takes care of him, and we see that again throughout the show. And something I found really important is that there is a trend, a relatively new kind of trend of basically like a gritty older person taking a child on like a road trip or going from point A to point B. This is seen with Logan and Last of Us especially. And those male characters, while I do respect the hell out of both those two pieces of media, the male characters do kind of fall into a more stereotypical gendered role. A stereotypical unemotional dad type. Yeah, who are, <laughs> like they're very annoyed by these children they have accompanied with them. They're very oftentimes angry and just shove them aside and eventually come to love and care about them, which I am, it's not a diss to those two pieces of media. I think that the background for Joel and Logan is very, very layered and there's a reason for that. But on the surface, it is kind of just like the males being like... It does come off as an emotionally distant father figure. Yeah, who's just kind of angry that they have to chill with this person. And Din Djarin, on the other hand, is as soon as he kind of comes across this child, he instantly changes and is like, I have to protect and I have to take care of. Yeah, that just reminded me of the scene in episode five where the mechanic, her name is Peli Monto... So the Mandalorian comes back to her station. He sees him, that baby Yoda's missing. And he sees Pelimonto holding baby Yoda. And his first instinct is, give him to me. Exactly. And he's just instantly protective and caring of this child. And again, we also we see in later episodes still that nurturing, caring, and cradling of him. As well as making sure that he's like tucked in and 
in his crate his little cradle too as we see in the second episode when baby yoda's trying to heal him which he doesn't know of course and he mm-hmm. like picks him up and like tucks him in and it's just those little scenes that i just really adored and was interested by because we see that the duality of this character that yeah he's a faceless warrior but he's also a nurturing father too exactly and as we talked about this it did make me think of other male characters who were the same we see quill who's an ugnant alien who is we see is very wise and more peaceful and his instinctive role is to also take care of baby yoda and and respect life and he's very anti pro-peace anti-war yeah and we see that as he basically after ig11 is blasted by dinjarin we see that quill nurtures him and takes care of this droid which isn't even considered life and he still nurtures it and protects it and helps it heal and then we see also a duality of a freaking droid which is also has a male voice aka would be considered male in certain sense and we see this droid who is literally labeled an assassin bounty hunting droid turn into a nurse droid so again we see that duality of something that's built for violence but can be turned into nurturing and caring yeah and i think that was also intentional to go against those gendered stereotypes basically saying like men can be very nurturing and caring and loving and not just violent Mm -hmm. yeah it makes sense in a story sense but also as commentary as well and that's why I really think the show is a feminist show because of its representation of women and the amount of women in the cast as well and its representation of men because I do think that people often forget that feminism isn't only changing the gendered stereotypes of women but also changing gendered stereotypes of men which I've always took to heart because a lot of people just see men as like very you're supposed to be tough you're supposed to be emotionless you're supposed to like hold back yeah true feelings and replace them with feelings of pride or anger exactly and then we see in the show that these men don't really do that we see these men become caretakers people who are protectors and people who become loving too and i'm excited to see and Jaren become more of a father figure as the show continues and nurture Baby Yoda even further. Mm-hmm. So one question before we wrap up for you, Gio. So do you consider the Mandalorian culture to be a feminist culture? I don't know much about the Mandalorian culture as someone who's just a casual Star Wars fan, but I know that you specifically love the Mandalorian culture specifically. All right, so I want to put this out there. You opened a can of worms. (laughs) I know too much about the Mandalorians. And I would go as far as to say, yes, I do think that the Mandalorians are a feminist culture. They do resort to violence. And there's, as as with every culture, there have flaws. And I do think that the Mandalorians, which they do comment about in the Clone Wars, do have very violent past and are always quick to violence and have a very warrior-like mentality. And there are characters specifically in Death Watch and the Clone Wars, which I won't get into, but there's characters who do have more of sexist values, but those characters are also antagonists and they lead the Mandalorians on a darker path. But we do see very strong female characters. We have Bo-Katan and Sabine Wren specifically who 
actively fight against those gendered stereotypes and we don't ever see objections to them being leaders too mm -hmm. it's just very natural for whoever is the strongest and most cunning will lead the mandalorians and that's regardless of background yeah regardless of background we see that regardless of who they are yeah and that's a very important piece of the mandalorian culture we see that people Regardless of who you are and what your background is, you can take you can start from nothing and get to something. And we see we have several characters who are female and are leading positions in the Mandalorians form especially it's especially seen in Rebels and now in the Mandalorian with the armor being the leader of this covert. Even in the Clone Wars, an actual on the planet Mandalore is ruled by Duchess Satine, so that means it is a matriarchy at that point. And Satine, who's a pacifist and is avidly against war, is an extremely strong diplomat and is incredibly intelligent. And when it does come down to it, she'll slap a bitch too. <laughs> and yeah, it's important to have skills of diplomacy and be cool-headed, and that's just proved how much of a good leader she was. Unfortunately, she kind of gets screwed over but she's still a great leader. And side note, I really love Dave Filoni's writing because he's always brought characters in for a purpose, but always layers them. And Satine was kind of a slight love interest for Obi-Wan, but she received her own episodes, her own plot, and she was much more than just a love interest for Obi-Wan. And she became a leader and that created like the Mandal new canon of Mandalorians we know. And I... With all that in mind, I told you, you opened the can of worms. I'm so sorry for everyone. <laughs> but yes, I do think the Mandalorians is a feminist culture. I do think that in Mandalorian culture, I do see that men and women are equals and they have equal opportunity to do whichever. They don't, even in Legends material, which is retconned mm -hmm. Star Wars canon. Sadly. Sadly. There was still, women still played a significant role and they weren't really reduced to playing specific gendered roles they were always if you're you grow up to be tough you grow up to be strong and whoever the strongest will rule which can be a toxic mentality because of violence and war but we're not going to get into that it's i do think women are equal in this culture which is a fictional culture but <laughs> it means a lot to me <laughs> Okay, and I think that's the perfect time to wrap everything up. Um, when everything's said and done, at the end of the day, I just want to say Baby Yoda. Oh my gosh, yes. We all love Baby Yoda. <laughs> we can gush about Baby Yoda. He's amazing. I do acknowledge he's an incredibly strong plot device, and he's a really good one. He made this show... What a lot is. better what it, it could have been not that i think it would have been good regardless but he made it like a lot better and he's <laughs> of he's fascinating to me as a star wars geek to the edge of earth i as soon as i saw those ears i was like oh my god i have so many questions now everything i know is <laughs> changed forever and yeah but yeah baby yoda's great he's adorable he's cute he's a baby and uh, goo goo gaga yeah <laughs> All right. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I'm sorry I blabbed on about the Mandalorians. If you do want that, I though, it. if you do want that, you can maybe like send in some cash money, and then there'll oh be like a <laughs> there'll be a little side special edition episode where it's just me for three and a half hours talking about everything Mandalorian. <laughs> 
going from Legends material 3,000 years before this current Star Wars canon to, like, canon Mandalorian material. I mean, that's his dream. I genuinely think he would do that without any financial incentive. But, I mean... If you gave me... If you said, Gio, I have three hours, tell me whatever, I would gladly do it. Just ask me, and I'll record it. No editing. I'll just record you everything I say and send it to you personally. I love this shit. I'm so sorry. The Mandalorian is a great show. Um, the reason for anyone getting a Disney Plus subscription is really the is. Get it. Season two is coming out October 30th. Please watch it. It is a feminist show. Fight me if you don't agree. That was super aggressive. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> got on a huge tangent. So thank you everyone for tuning in. We really appreciate your support. Please support us on Anchor write us reviews send us voice messages send us messages on instagram save and like our material on instagram share it talk to us everything we're really excited going forward we're excited for what we're coming up with and we are starting to look for potential guests so if you this will happen in the future but i want to put that out now because we do want to start talking to others involving others but as of course with the quarantine everything going on it won't happen soon but if you do are interested just let us know and we can maybe yes. plan something out we have tons of ideas pitch for the rest of the year and mm-hmm. onward so so we're excited guests are, welcome. guests are very welcome and yeah just write us a review on apple podcast on google too and yeah thank you so much thank you so much and let's look forward to the next one